This morning, we're going to spend some time taking a look at what the Bible teaches about how we can invest in the next generation of the church. And what we're going to find is in Ephesians 6, we're going to see three key things that every child needs to thrive in the Christian life. And we're going to begin in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 1. We're going to read some verses there and then pick up some verses later on. Let's notice what the Apostle Paul says here, starting in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. My wife and I have been married for 12 years. We're raising four boys at home, eight, six, four, and two. So you can pray for her this morning while I'm here with you. And there's a few things that I've noticed about raising four boys. The first is that we can't hardly afford our grocery bill. Because they eat nonstop. We also can hardly endure the constant locker room smell around our house. And we also recognize that we can't raise them well unless we have a plan. Unless we're investing in them intentionally. In many ways, raising kids is a little bit like growing a city like Georgetown. And so some of you probably grew up here back when this was out in the outskirts Well beyond the city limits of Austin, there was farmland, there wasn't much development, and then over the years, things grew and developed and took off, and decisions had to be made by the leaders of this community when this city began to grow of what that growth should look like, and how they could help it to flourish rather than to flounder as growth continued. There had to be strategic decisions and investments made early in order to enable the flourishing of the city as it grew and as it developed. And in the same way, the scriptures are giving us a picture of what it looks like to help children and students to grow in the faith. And what it means is that we need to set down anchors to help them to grow and to thrive in the Christian life. And what we're going to find this morning is Paul showing us three key things that every child needs to thrive in the Christian life. And we're seeing this here in Ephesians 6. Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison to the churches in the surrounding area. And as he comes to the conclusion of this letter in Ephesians 6, he is taking the gospel message and helping them to apply it to the relationships that they have in their life. And we see the way that in verses 1 through 4, Paul shows us the first key thing that every child needs to thrive in the Christian life. And here it is. Every child needs a treasure to seek. That's the first thing that Paul is highlighting here. He begins in verse 1 by calling children to obey their parents and to honor them. And he is showing the way that we can help our children flourish if we help them to understand their life in a bigger picture, in a bigger view of what it is that the Christian life is seeking to do. We are trying to help them to understand that in the Christian life there is a treasure worth seeking and his name is Jesus. So do you remember last summer the big phenomenon over the summer was the new app Pokemon Go? And I mean, that, what did that last, like three weeks? And then everybody had the app and they don't use it anymore. But for that season, you saw people doing unusual things. 
They were breaking into different museums or uh, getting into their schools. I happened to be where I went to college at Texas A&M over the summer when it first became popular. And so many students were trying to break on to Kyle Field that they had a Pokemon Go night in the football stadium. Because there was a treasure for them to seek. There was a challenge for them to conquer. There was a reward for them to obtain and that caused them to do things that they would not otherwise have done. And when we think about what it means to raise the next generation to know and to love Jesus, we need to recognize that we must set before them the gospel treasure that is worth seeking in order to change the way that they live in the present. Paul writes about that here by showing us three keys to raising kids that will be captivated by treasure to seek. Do you see what they are? In verse 1, he starts off by saying, first, we must equip children to respond to authority. He writes there and says, children, obey your parents. This has been a challenge ever since the fall of humanity in Genesis 3. And particularly in a culture where the culture around us wants our children and our students to believe that everyone is equal. And that there's no reason or need to respond to authority. But he goes along with that in verse 2 by telling us we must equip our children to respect leadership. He says, honor your father and your mother. So in my home, a question that comes up on an occasional basis is my boys will ask me, God, Dad, why do you always make us say yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, when we're speaking to people? All our friends say yeah, or something like that. What's the big deal? And what I'm trying to help them to realize is that God has created leadership and authority structures in the way that he has designed the world to work. And by the simple act of saying yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, they are submitting to that authority. They are honoring a father and mother. They are respecting the leadership in their midst. Paul brings up this section from the Ten Commandments here and talking about honoring father and mother because he desires for us to respect leadership. But do you see what he says down in verse 4? He shows us the way that we must equip our kids to receive instructions. So it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. In other words, Paul is giving the parents there a warning not to frustrate and to exasperate your children. Instead, we're to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In the home of the Christian family, there should be both correction and instruction. Discipline and investment. And that's all the more important in the the culture that we live in today. Because our culture will teach our children that their significance is determined by their success. And their success is determined by their talents. But what Paul is saying here is that for our children, if we're going to raise up the next generation to thrive in the Christian life, teachability is more important than talent. We want to raise children who have a hunger for truth and to grow in what it looks like to see and savor Jesus Christ. But beyond this, in these opening verses, when Paul is speaking of how every child needs a treasure to seek, he also gives instructions about how it is that we can help children embrace God's good design for the family. If you look back at verse 1, he tells us that we need to help children do that because of, the, of Christian integrity. He says there in verse 1 that children should obey their parents in the Lord. 
This isn't some generic instruction. It's not some focus on family values. Instead, it is a uniquely Christian activity to obey parents in the Lord. For the Lord's sake, in order to honor them. Because that is the right thing to do. But it's not just to reflect who we are as Christians. It's also to seek the good of our community and our families. As he says there in verse 3, we honor father and mother so that it may go well with you. That there is something good that happens when the family unit aligns with God's design for it. When a child honors father and mother, when they respect that authority, when they receive that leadership, it is pleasing to God. But notice also here, he tells us that we should embrace God's design for the family because it is rooted in the idea that there is a treasure to seek. Do you see it in verse 2? He says, this is the first commandment with the promise. When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and he passed them on to Israel, when it came to that point where he said to the nation of Israel, honor father and mother, there was a promise attached to it. That of a future inheritance. That what was coming in the future should change the way that they lived and honored their parents in the present. So today's Super Bowl Sunday. And, uh, you know, whether you're a, a Patriots fan or a Falcons fan or just enjoy football, maybe you're a Cowboys fan like me that thinks we should be there instead of the Falcons, whatever your situation, we know that the athletes that take the field in the game tonight have spent their whole career training for this moment. They've put in hour after hour of hard work. They've invested their lives in ways that they would not otherwise have done. Why? Because there is a prize set before them. There is a trophy to win. There is a championship ring to wear. And the future potential of a treasure to seek changes the way that they live in the present. And that's the picture that Paul is giving us here. That if we want to raise the next generation to know and to love Jesus, we must always be setting before them the treasure of the gospel that is worth seeking. Which means in the lives of the parents that are here in the room, part of what it looks like in the rhythms of your home shouldn't just be correction and discipline and instruction, but those things should all be built upon a foundation of a forward-looking vision. That the reason our family is seeking to love and to know Jesus is because God has promised us a coming kingdom. And that kingdom that is coming is worth everything that this world has to offer. And we should embrace that treasure to seek. And if our children catch that vision, it will enable them to live the good life of the Christian faith more effectively so that they might thrive in their everyday life. But I want you to notice in the next passage of Scripture from Ephesians 6, in verses 10 through 17, Paul gives us a second key that will enable every child to thrive in the Christian life. So after verses 1 through 4, Paul talks about other relationships that the gospel reshapes. And then in verse 10, he picks up there talking about a very familiar passage, putting on the full armor of God. And notice what he says beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation." So I, I grew up and went to Texas A&M. As I already mentioned, I love watching the Cowboys. But when one of my teams is not playing and I'm watching a game with the boys and I turn on the television set, one of the first questions that one of my youngest boys will ask me is, Dad, who are the bad guys? See, he wants to know who he's supposed to be for and who he's supposed to be against while he's watching the game. And it seems like that recognition of conflict and battle and warfare is hardwired into the heart of every child. They recognize that there is a battle all around them and the second key to helping our children thrive in the Christian life is that every child needs a battle to fight. When Paul writes here of putting on the full armor of God, he is inviting the Christian and our families into the spiritual warfare that God has called us to. And he he shows us why we need to put on the full armor of God there. In verse 11, he warns us that there is a dangerous plan against us. He tells about how we need to stand against the schemes of the devil. But in verse 12, he says that we face a dangerous enemy. That our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. And it tells us in verse 13 that we are living in a dangerous time. Because he talks about how we need to withstand in the evil day. And in light of all these threats around us, Paul calls the Christian to put on the full armor of God. So what does he mean when he says put on the full armor of God? What he is talking about here is he's saying put on Christ who is the full armor of God. So elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul writes and speaks of putting off the old man and putting on the new man, setting aside the things of the past and putting on this new man. And when he speaks here of putting on the full armor of God, he is picking up on that same imagery of putting off the old man and putting on Christ, who is the full armor of God. And what we find there, is these five pieces of armor that every Christian needs and that every child must embrace if they're going to thrive in the Christian life. He speaks first of the belt of truth. You know, when Paul is writing this letter, he might have seen a Roman soldier in full battle attire sitting outside his jail cell. And when he looked at one of those soldiers, they had their armor on and then wrapped around them was a belt. And the purpose of that belt was to hold their armor in place in the midst of battle. It fully encompassed them to hold all things together in the middle of the conflict. And when Paul writes here of putting on the belt of truth, he is speaking of the way that truth must encompass our lives as Christians. It should be wrapped around us at all times just like a belt. And that's particularly important in a culture that is increasingly wrapped up in what some people call fake news. You hear that term thrown around in our culture today, but what I want you to recognize this morning is that Satan is in the fake news business. Because the Bible teaches us that he has come to deceive 
and to tempt and to lead astray. And we must equip our children to understand truth and to know the one who describes himself as truth. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So to put on the belt of truth is to put on Christ who is the truth. Paul says, put on that belt of truth. He also says next, take up the breastplate of righteousness. That breastplate would be there to protect the soldier from a death blow to their vital organs. It was there to hide them from the danger of a direct attack. And in my home, my youngest boys, when one of their older brothers is aggravating them or being aggressive or wanting to do something bad to them, one of the most common things they will do is they will run and hide behind me. Because they know if they come in and grab my pant legs from behind and they put me between them and their older brother who is seeking their destruction, they know that they will be delivered from their enemy. They know that they can find protection. When Paul writes here, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, that's the picture. That in the cross of Jesus Christ, when he suffers in our place, when he takes on our sin and offers us his righteousness in exchange, that can deliver us from the death blow of Satan. That's why we read earlier today that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He says, take up the breastplate of righteousness, but he goes on next to talk about the shoes of the gospel of peace. In verse 15, he says, take the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. The picture here is that the, the soldier in battle, every step they take, those shoes are guiding them. And he's saying the gospel of peace should be with us every step of the way in the Christian life, which has everything to do with those of us who are raising children today. Would you say that the gospel of peace is with you every step of the way when you're raising your children? Every time they frustrate you, every time they disobey you, every time they disappoint you, are your, is your life reflecting the fact that it should be marked by the gospel of peace? Paul goes on in verse 16 to write about a fourth piece of the armor, taking up the shield of faith, and there was a certain type of shield that was most common in that time period. It would be about four feet long by four feet high. It would be made out of wood, and it would be wrapped in leather, and as the soldiers went into the battle, let's imagine they are seeking to take a fortified city surrounded by city walls, and on the top of those walls there would be archers who would seek to take out as many soldiers as possible as they advance towards the city, and what they would do is they would have a bow and an arrow. Oftentimes they would dip that arrow in tar and they would light it on fire in order that they might shoot flaming darts amongst their enemies. And before those soldiers went into battle, they would often dip those shields and drench them in water so that they could line up side by side and as if a wall marching forward, move ahead against the enemy. And as those flaming darts rained down upon them, their shields would extinguish the fiery arrows of the enemy. And that's the picture that, God, that Paul is giving us here when he talks about taking up the shield of faith. 
That as we share the gospel with our children, when we invite them into a relationship with Jesus, when we seek to engage them with what it looks like to live a life of faith, we are equipping them to stand against the schemes of Satan that are seeking to destroy their lives. He talks next about the helmet of salvation. In verse 17, he says, take up the helmet of salvation. And, And it's this imagery of protecting the most important part of the body. That salvation offers protection, and it's fitting that Paul uses this imagery involving the head because so often the central place of spiritual warfare for the Christian is a battlefield of the mind. That even when our actions or our attitudes are pleasing to God, oftentimes our thought life is leading us astray. And there's a constant battle in our minds to honor the Lord and part of what it looks like to raise the next generation to know and love Jesus is to help them to see what it looks like to take every thought captive to Christ. So that our, our eyes and our minds and our hearts are fixed on Jesus rather than the things of this world. See, Paul recognizes That every one of us is in a spiritual battle and he is calling us to join in the midst of that conflict. And if we want to help children to thrive in the Christian life, a key to do that is to help them see that every one of them has a battle to fight. Now I want you to notice after this, in the last four verses that we'll read in verses 17 through 20, Paul gives to us a third key for every child when he says this. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So the third key that every child needs to thrive in the Christian life is they need a story to share. So when I fly home today back to Nashville where I work and I get off the plane and I pull into my house, I never know when I open the door to go into my house if I'm going to be greeted with a hug or a punch or some variation of that. But what I can always count on is that in a, within a few moments, my boys are going to want to be telling me stories. Dad, you're never going to believe what happened while you were gone. They might tell me something about their baby brother and how he got into something in the pantry and pounded a bunch of Oreos before anybody realized what was happening. Or they might tell me about some great thing that happened at school. Every child thrives when they have a story to share. It's hardwired into who they are. And when Paul is writing here in verses 17 through 20, he is showing us that as Christians, we need to embrace the fact that we have a story to share. That we have a gospel to proclaim. And if we want to help children and students thrive in the Christian life, we need to equip them to embrace and to share that gospel story. And he tells us how to do that. In verse 17, we see first, he says that we must help our children to know the gospel story. You see what he says? He says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you want to fight the good fight of the faith, then you need to be armed for battle. See, all the other pieces of the armor that Paul's already spoken of are defensive to protect the soldier in battle. But now he speaks of the weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which will enable us to fight back against the temptations and deceptions of the devil. 
And so for those of you who are raising children in your home or serving in the children's ministry in this church, part of our task as those raising the next generation is to think through how can we embed the gospel story in their life? How can we help them to know it and to embrace it? That's why here at First Baptist Georgetown, we have a thriving children's ministry with hundreds of people in student ministry that are equipping our students. But we also recognize in a church like this that we're not outsourcing giving the gospel story to our children only through the church. That you as parents bear the primary responsibility for investing in your children and helping them to know and to embrace the truths of the scripture. So one of the ways that looks like in my home is we, on a consistent basis, do a family devotion. And with four boys under eight, our devotions are one part Bible study, one part comedy routine, and one part wrestling match. It's always chaos. And sometimes I wonder to myself, are they getting any of this? Is any of this sinking in? Will they ever know and understand the Bible and come to love Jesus in the way that I keep longing for? And the reminder to each one of us this morning is to not become weary in doing good. Because the call to parents and grandparents and those serving in children and students' ministry is we're called to continue to plant seeds of the gospel and to pray to God to water those seeds that they might take root in the hearts of the next generation so that they might know and love Jesus. So Paul says here we need to embrace the gospel story, but he says next, we must pray for gospel power. Do you see what he says? Verse 18, he says that we need to pray at all times in the Spirit. Prayer is central to the battle that each of us are called to in the Christian life, and that is nowhere more true than for those of us who are parents and who are raising children. That even when we're not sure how to handle situations, even if it doesn't seem like anything is working, even when we feel like we are at the end of our rope, the Bible is calling us to be people of prayer who cry out to God to break through in the lives of our children and to break through in the lives of the next generation of this community. We must be a praying people. But notice with me finally the way that Paul talks about we must share this story with gospel boldness. Do you see how he finishes this section in verse 19? He asked them to pray for him that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So one of my sons at home who might be waiting right at the door to tell me stories about what happened while I was gone is also the shy one in our family. And so when he's put forward in front of a group or in public, he is very shy and reluctant to talk. He shrinks back. Even though he's willing to share these things in private, he is apprehensive and reluctant and anxious to do it in public. There is a lack of boldness that's there to proclaim these stories publicly. And part of what it looks like to raise the next generation to embrace the Christian life is not just to show them the gospel story and to pray with gospel power, but to ask God to fill them with gospel boldness so that they will be faithful witnesses in the community around us. That's why you students that are here at school in town, you are faced with peer pressure and people that are seeking to tear you down or to point you away from Jesus on a regular basis. And the question for you this morning is, is Jesus enough for you? Will you be bold even when others are putting pressure on you to conform with the way that they're living? He calls us to this gospel boldness. Just a couple days ago, 
my wife and family said goodbye to a dear friend of ours who was, had been living with us for several months but is now moving back at home in order to make final preparation to become a Navy SEAL. He's always desired to be in the military and to serve our country in this way, and he's been doing all the training in order to prepare for his application in the Enter the Seals. And along the way, my boys have been asking him questions. Mr. Patrick, uh, what do you do as a Navy SEAL? What kind of guns do you get to use? What types of bad guys do you get to kill? Well, when we said goodbye to him on Friday, my four-year-old came up to him and said, Mr. Patrick, are you sure you want to do this? Because you know if you become a Navy SEAL, you might die. Are you sure that's really what you want to do? And you could see the wheels turning in this four-year-old. He realized that there might have to be a sacrifice made. And what Patrick said back to him in response is, yes, I'm aware of that. But to me, the mission is worth the sacrifice. And what Paul is laying out to us this morning is that when we think through what it looks like to raise the next generation to know and love Jesus, we need to understand that we have been called to a mission that is worth the sacrifice. And we are following a king who made the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf so that what the Bible teaches us is that God sends his only son to live a perfect life, to die a death on our behalf, to be raised from the grave, conquering sin and death, and he invites us to join a mission. A mission to declare his truth, to advance his kingdom, and to do that in in our communities around us and our very own homes. And the key that we see in the scripture in order to make that happen as we close this morning is to remember that every every child needs a treasure to seek, a battle to fight, and a story to share.